Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open them up to John chapter 13. And um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Justin, and I serve as the pastor here. And if there's anything we can do to help you grow spiritually or be of service to you in any way, please let us know. That's why we're here. We're continuing our series in John's Gospel, and <clears throat> one of the things that really stands out to me about this passage that we're about to look at is Jesus is, he sees his death right around the corner. He knows it's just right around the corner. And notice, as we're thinking about this, who is Jesus fixated on? Like, I, I can tell you who I would be fixated on if I knew that my death was right around the corner is me. My needs, my family, are all of the issues taken care of? And here we see something very, very amazing. Jesus is focusing in all of his attention, all of his resources on his disciples, the people right in front of him. I think that says something about the mission of Jesus, why he's come. I also think that is instructive for what our lives might be like for those of us that seek to follow him. So with that, let's look at John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Particularly for my friends here who you're very familiar with this story. Maybe you've studied it in a Bible study or you've grown up in church your whole life. Can I just invite you to the best of your ability, imagine you've never read this before. Imagine being in the room and you have no category for what Jesus is doing. Okay, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he arose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also 
should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Will you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to speak through me. To open our hearts, to hear afresh your words of truth, to see Jesus clearly. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I've learned about my personality, and I think it, it can be a little bit of a problem sometimes, is that I tend to be all or nothing. I'm either all in, very enthusiastic, or meh. And my father-in-law loves to give me a hard time because I love food, and I love trying different kinds of food, but not cheese. Which is a problem because Elizabeth's side of the family are obsessed with cheese. And I remember my father-in-law said, let me tell you about Justin. If he liked cheese, he would really like cheese. Whatever I'm doing, I try to go all in. And I remember one of those times, unfortunately, kind of got me in trouble when we were with some friends at, uh, at a lake. And one of the young girls said, Justin, Justin, pull me on the tube behind the jet ski or behind the sea do. And I said, sure, you got it, no problem. Emily loved the idea of riding on the tube behind the sea do. She loved it. She was excited. She couldn't wait. But when reality set in, when someone like me is behind the steering wheel, her eyes were as big as saucers. I turned one corner, not realizing how fast I was going, got that tube outside the wake, and that girl flew across the water. We got her finally back into the, into the dock, and she said, Justin, I will never ride with you again. And I said, okay, well, I tried. Emily loved the idea of the journey, but when reality set in, it was not at all what she bargained for. I think perhaps in our relationship with Jesus, in our journey to follow Christ, many of us are like Emily. We love the idea of following Jesus. Man, that's exciting. I mean, he's a magnetic figure. Look how he heals people. Look how he moves toward the poor. Look at his power to raise the dead. Look how he has the boldness to stand up at one of these festivals and says, I am the light of the world. He's not ashamed. Yes, I want to follow that person. We love the idea of it. But then the reality sets in. This is going to be hard. This is going to cost me something. There's going to be waves in front of me that I don't know what's going to happen. There's going to be situations that my family is, is, is going to be facing. I don't know what to do. Is this really what I signed up for? Think about the disciples' expectations of Jesus. They had been with Jesus for three years. They had seen him do amazing miracles. They had heard him make audacious claims that if they were not true, it was blasphemy and he deserved to be stoned. He claimed to be God. Jesus raised the dead. He raised his friend Lazarus. All of the disciples had a front row seat. Hey, I'm going to follow you. But now, what you're doing, Jesus, during this meal is absolutely crazy. 
What are you doing on the floor, Jesus? You are the rabbi. This is not what we're bargaining for. We're supposed to be following the Messiah. You know all the Messiahs that have gone before. The military leader who's going to march into Rome and get rid of all those nasty pagan Romans and give the Israelite people their land back. This is not what we're signing up for. A Messiah on the floor washing our filthy feet? I love the idea of following Jesus, but when reality sits in, this is not at all what I bargained for. I think we need to ask three questions about John chapter 13 as we consider following him and serving him and facing our expectations, frankly. The first question that we need to ask ourselves is, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do here in John chapter 13? He serves on the lowest level you can possibly imagine. Think about whatever the lowest job is, and it's one lower than that. There was no category for Jesus' actions in John chapter 13. The Messiah serves. The Messiah was an anointed one, the long-awaited David, who was going to come with power, riding on a white horse, and level the playing field. What is Jesus doing on the floor? Jesus was a rabbi. He's the rabbi of rabbis, the teacher and now he's the one serving his followers? No, no, the followers are supposed to be on the floor serving the rabbi. That's the way things go. I want you to see, friends, what Jesus is doing is overturning cultural taboos. Only the lowest slave in the household would do such a filthy act as washing stinky feet. I read somewhere by one historian that not even Hebrew slaves would wash the feet of others. That was a task that was reserved for Gentile slaves. Jesus does that. He removes his outer garments. He is stripping down and being vulnerable with his people. He becomes the lowest of the low. And the disciples had no category for it. But he also overturns the relational taboos. Not just the cultural ones. This is not befitting behavior of a rabbi. This is unbecoming. This is uncomfortable. This is awkward. Maybe this is inappropriate for Jesus to be doing this as a rabbi. That's what's behind Peter saying, Jesus, you can't do this in verse 8. You, you, you can't do this. You can't wash me. There's never been an example, according to one scholar, in Judeo, or excuse me, Greco-Roman ancient culture, Inside the Bible, outside the Bible, ever of a rabbi ever stooping so low to his disciples. Other than this time. Can you imagine being in Jesus' time where you don't have a category for what he's doing? He would be so vulnerable, so low, so humble. And yet this is the one in verse 3, all authority comes from the father. He becomes so low. We've already seen his power on display to heal the blind, to heal the lame man, to raise Lazarus. This is at, in, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, who, the one who has all power, who has existed with God and is God for all of eternity. This is how he implements his power, by becoming humble and low to the greatest degree. I mean, that is staggering. I mean, let's just unpack this for a minute. How many disciples do we have? Twelve? 
just conservatively, we don't know how long it takes to wash someone's feet. Let's just say it takes two minutes per disciple. We're talking about 24 minutes of uncomfortable squirming around. Everyone's making eyes with each other. This is really uncomfortable. 24 minutes at least of that. Of Jesus willingly becoming that low. Utter humility. Okay, maybe that's true, Justin. Maybe that's accurate. I, I get what you're saying. It was really, really low. Why? What's the point of it? There's been all kinds of religious leaders for all of time that have made, you know, done uh, audacious things, right? They've done crazy things. Why did Jesus do this? And by the way, we should always ask ourselves why we're doing what we're doing. Why are you here this morning? What are you hoping to get? Asking the why question in all that we're doing is critical. Why would Jesus do this? Point number two, why? Again, I go back to my opening question. If you're facing down death, if you know in a couple of, maybe a day, you know that, you, that you're going to die. Where are you going to be fixing your gaze? Where are you focusing your attention? I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm trying to be serious. What would you really think about? I was really convicted about how I know that I would be consumed with myself. And I've just struck with the wonder and the beauty that Jesus is enamored and thinking about his disciples. These 12 knucklehead disciples who have ups and downs just like us. Jesus is consumed with them. It says in verse 1 that Jesus loves them to the end. Did you catch that? Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus strip off his garments? Why did he execute his power to become so humble? Because he loved them. And I don't mean just like touchy-feely Valentine's Day, he had affection. I mean he had gritty, roll up your sleeves, I'm going to put my love in action because I will stop at nothing because I care about them. That's the kind of love that Jesus had for his disciples. Love is what drove him to do this. And what is that bigger goal that has been clear throughout the entire Gospel of John? Jesus is doing all these miracles. Jesus is confronting religious leaders. He's making bold claims about his authority for one reason. I want everyone to believe in Jesus Christ. At the end of John's Gospel, John writes... This book is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, which is the Messiah, and that you might find life in his name. That is what Jesus is about. Jesus' humble love is pointing to a deeper reality, a reality way beyond simply washing people's feet. Look at verse 7. As Jesus is talking with Peter, he says, you don't understand this. But in the future, it will click. It will come together. Jesus is not only talking about cleansing filthy feet and just simply being an example of kindness and, and, and humility. But he's ultimately talking about cleansing our filthy hearts. Jesus' love for his people, for you this morning drove him to the utmost place of humility, to the cross of Calvary. 
The same John that wrote this book also says in 1 John 1, 7 that the blood of Jesus the Son cleanses us from all of our sin. In order to be cleansed, that means that someone had to get the dirt. I mean, think about the picture that Jesus is enacting. He's saying, I will cleanse you. I will wash everything away, but I will absorb and carry the dirt and the filth. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but we're talking about the filthiest, nastiest, dirtiest feet you can possibly imagine. And that is every single human heart. I don't care whether you are a churchgoer and that you are a very moral or well-behaved person or you just want to kind of live your own life, go your own way. All of us, the scriptures would say that our hearts are dirty and that only Jesus can cleanse them. Now let's go look a little bit closer, sort of zoom in just a little bit. Can we think about who's in the room? Justin, you've already told us they're, they're called the 12 disciples. We get it. Yeah, I know. But think about it. Jesus wants to make it really clear that Judas Iscariot was in that room too. Why do you think he would say that? Sometimes I, I like to imagine that final meal with all of the disciples lined up and they're kind of gathering themselves. And you would lay on your side and your feet would be out away from the food, thankfully. And, you know, I imagine the camera panning the room. Well, there's Peter and there's the next disciple and there's the next one. And then they pan and they zoom in on Judas. And he's over there and he has an eye patch. And he has a tattoo. And he has a sinister grin that makes him really stand out from the other ones. And everyone's like, I never saw it coming. I never saw it coming. Do you see the eye patch? He's clearly the bad guy. I think sometimes we can look at this passage and think that. Don't y'all know that's Judas? Guys, he was the treasurer. He had all the money. We learned last week he was stealing money. Nothing about Judas's appearance would make us think, that guy's the bad guy. Who, does Jesus say, okay, I'm going to wash 11 people's feet. Oop, eye patch. Move on to the next one. No. He washes the very feet of the one he knows will betray him. Does that help you see how much he loves? I don't know what you've done. I don't know if you feel like you have totally messed up your life. You've messed up your career. You've messed up your family. You might be thinking, Justin, if, if you only knew, or people in this room knew what I had done, you wouldn't talk to me. Jesus came for you. I don't care if you feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel. I don't care if you feel like you're so overwhelmed. You can come to him. Let him cleanse you. Come to him as you are. Because here's the thing. He wants his disciples to be so gripped by being served by Jesus in this humble act that their hearts are so melted, so captured, that they, can only, they can't help but be driven into the lives of others. Oh man, you're not going to believe what Jesus did for me. I totally made a mess of my life. I did this, I did that. But you know, he forgave me. I'm a new creation. Like, I'm totally brand new. How can I not go love this person over here? How can I not hang in there with my coworker who talks all the time? How can I not hang in there with that family member who's always making it about her all the time? It's because Jesus has changed us. That's the only way that we can ever love and serve in the way that we see here. 
Have you fathomed that kind of love that God has for you? This is a super hard calling to keep loving and loving and loving. But love like this always drives us into action. So we've, we've looked at the why. We've also looked at the what. But thirdly and last, let's look at the how. How in the world can we as a church and as individuals and as brothers and sisters in Christ do this? Jesus is saying this is the example Remember, these 12 disciples were later called 12 apostles. Many of them wrote the entire New Testament. Many of them, their lives ended with death, with martyrdom. How in the world can we do this? How in the world can we continue? Jesus has left us marching orders. He's called every church and every Christian to participate in his mission. I think there's a couple of principles that stand out to me. Here's the first how. You have got to let Jesus wash you first. And for some of you, frankly, that's what you need to, that's what you need to leave home with. You, like Peter, you're pushing Jesus' hand away. Nope, 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 nope. You're not going to clean me. I'm too messy. I'm too dirty. Or no, 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 Jesus, Jesus, I've got this. I just need to have a little bit more discipline. I need to go to church a little bit more. Maybe I need to go to a teaching fellowship. I need to be a better dad. I need to start reading the Bible. Nope, I got this, Jesus. You, maybe what you need to do is just put your hands back and let Jesus wash your feet. Receive. And maybe for some of you, you've been sitting in these pews for 20 years and you've never let Jesus wash you. What a gift for you to leave this Sunday morning knowing that you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. How can we know if we have been gripped by God's grace? Who do we move toward? Do we move toward the people that are going to help our reputations? That are going to be really easy to talk to? We can move toward people because God moved toward us in Christ. So the first principle, you've got to let Jesus wash you first. Secondly, we've got to open our eyes to those who are right in front of us. Jesus loved and served the 12 people that he had been in community with, that he had spent time with, that he knew inside and out. Who are the people right now that God has intentionally put right under your nose? I'm not asking you if they're easy to love or if they're hard to love. Who are those people? Jesus begins with his disciples. And these disciples were all walks of life. Very diverse backgrounds. Who are the people right in front of you? Your kids, maybe? Maybe a roommate? Maybe your spouse? Someone that you have a cube near in your office? Someone that lives down the street from you? That is on your sports team? Are you always sitting next to in, in high school or middle school? You know that God has intentionally put those people in your life for a reason. Because he loves you. And he wants you to communicate how much God loves them too. So open your eyes to those who are right in front of you. Thirdly, let's recognize and lean into our insufficiency and weakness. When Jesus is calling his church to go out into the community to serve and to give, it is absolutely impossible without the power of God. We have no power. We can't generate or well up Power to encourage and power to save people. 
So I want to invite you, when you feel like, Justin, I can't, I have a hard time loving my spouse. Or I have one of my children that's really hard to love. Or Justin, you don't know what it's like to be in this coworker, be with this coworker. Rather than sort of like gripping and saying, I got this, can you just open your hands and say, I don't have this. I don't want to love this person. I need you, Jesus. In the words of Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in what? Weakness. So I boast all the more in my weakness because that way God gets the glory, not us. Some of you simply need to lean in to your insufficiency and let the power of God flow from you. Only by admitting your weakness and lack of love will we ever be able to move toward others. Jesus will use us to bring his life-changing grace to this community, and he's already doing it. Many of you in this room are living, breathing examples of that. But he's now called us to pass it on, to continue that opportunity. So what's next, Justin? Okay, what am I supposed to do? I get it, the what, the why, and the how. Let me just give you a couple of little action steps, and then we'll, then we'll, we'll end things here. For some of you here this morning, you need to let Jesus cleanse you from all your guilt and your shame, the things that you hate about yourself. You need to bring that into God's presence. I know he loves you. And he didn't die for you for your best days. He died for us on our absolute worst days. As even a preacher of the gospel, a Christian, I still every day struggle to love people on my own strength. I'm, I'm like a fool. I know better, but I still try to say, I can love on my own strength instead of leaning into the Lord. Maybe for you this morning, you need to let the Lord cleanse you. Secondly, I think that we see the value of the little mundane things. Think about those of you who have siblings that you live with. Maybe a good action step for you is that when, when you come home from church today and you see your siblings' shoes in the middle of the floor, you actually intentionally pick up those shoes and go put them away for her. The power of the little mundane things. No one will ever know. Just those little things I think God cares about. Thirdly, others of us here need, we need to let our illusions of following Jesus and not having to love messy people die. Because Jesus loves us and we're all messy. Central to the mission of God is to use messy people like us to bring the resurrection of power of Jesus to messy people. And we need to be aware of our various phases of life and our age and our stage and the time that we have. Living as a college student is different than living as a retired person. And, you know, if you're at home and you have a bunch of kids in diapers, your bandwidth is different than, say, someone else in a different phase. But the principle still holds up. We're called, true life is found by laying down our life for other people. It's only because of Jesus, only because of his love, that we have the power to do this. It begins with receiving what he has done, and it overflows into participating in God's mission. But there's only one source. It's Jesus. Will you look to him this morning? Will you look to him? Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, this picture of you sending your son Jesus to become so low, to love us with such costliness, is a beautiful picture that I long for my heart to be captured by. But I just confess that so often my heart is captured by my own comfort and my own needs. And Lord, I pray that you might empower the Holy Spirit, that he might change my heart, that we as a church might be a blessing to serve and to give, not only to the people sitting in the pews this morning, but also to the people that we come in contact with throughout the week. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we now come to the Lord's table.